Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? All right. You know, as I was searching, is my mic on? Okay. I was searching the internet this week for a sample that I could use of that song. And you know, there are about 300 covers of that song by famous or not so famous bands. There's only two good ones, the original and the one by Green Day. All the rest of them is awful. It's awful. So um, a couple things I want to let you know about. First of all, um, you know in the old days, whenever somebody would say amen, like even in the Bible where it says amen, selah, like in the Psalms, amen meant that there is no other words that need to be said. Well, there is a modern day amen, and it's called a mic drop. So we're going to start a new tradition in the garden starting today. If I say something that I think is worthy of amen, and you guys don't amen, I'm dropping a mic. And I want you to know ahead of time what that means. It means y'all should have said amen. Keep that in mind as we go forward. My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. I'm excited about this, this week's lesson. We're continuing in our series on Galatians. Uh, today we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. And uh, I just want to start off real quick. Obviously, I fought the law, and the law one is the name of the message. And the idea behind it is this. You cannot mix rules, church rules, religious rules, and grace. You can't mix performance and faith. Because when you do, it's a waste of time, and it only ends in defeat, demoralization, failure, death. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let me read the passage to you. Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21. By the way, just to give you a little historical background, well, I'll talk about that in just a minute, but historical background, last week we talked about when, when Paul basically put Peter on blast, because Peter was trying to mix religion and faith, and he went up and said in front of everybody, yo, Peter, what do you think you're doing? You're messing up the gospel. What, are you some kind of bonehead? This actually continues his putting of Peter on blast. By the way, those of you over 40 putting somebody on blast, it simply means you're calling them out in public. That's what putting on blast means. Okay, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of religion or works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So just to make sure that you understand from now on today, whenever you see or hear the word law, I want you to think religion. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a sinner or transgressor, same word. For through the law, religion, I died to religion so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through religion, then Christ died for no purpose." You know, human nature loves to try to achieve. It loves to strive. Human nature loves to look back on something and say, look at what I did. 
Look at what I accomplished. Wow, I did a really good job. Human nature also likes to consider itself basically good. In fact, human nature thinks of itself as so good that it has set up many religious systems all throughout the world and all throughout the course of human history. They've been set up for this reason. For man to participate in them, to live in them, to practice them, so that he can achieve some level of perceived comparable righteousness to the world around him. In other words, religion serves this purpose. I need to look and be better than what is around me. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to strive. And there are thousands of religious systems with laws and rules and regulations that you must follow. And if you do that, you look better than the world around you, at least from your perception. The problem is this, guys. In every case, human nature can never succeed in those settings. I'm a terrible Presbyterian. I really am. And when I was working in a Baptist church, I was a terrible Baptist. So bad I was fired three times. True story. See, what happens is we come up against these rules and laws of religion, and in fact, no matter how motivated you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter how disciplined you are, no matter how tenacious you think you are, what a fighter you are, the laws of religion will always win. They will always claim you as a victim that was just not quite good enough. So we understand the historical aspect. This is still Paul putting Peter on blast. And verse 15 is an evidence of that because he talks about the fact that we were both born Jews. He's talking about himself and Peter. And then what Paul does is he explains further how faith in Christ and faith in religion are not compatible concepts. And he goes through, and he just, I'm going to try to do this kind of quickly because I want to get to some stuff later on that's really exciting. Here's what he says in verse 16. Religious success doesn't justify us. Faith, which is what, by the way, church? Faith is a gift. Faith is what justifies us through the work of Christ. Even if you fancy yourself a clean and holy person because you are good at religion, Paul declares, you might be religious, but you aren't justified. You aren't forgiven. Because religion, get this guys, religion is an acquired skill. It's something you can practice and get good at, but religion is powerless to justify you from your sin. See, it's not a question of whether or not can I do enough religious stuff to overcome the sin I have in my past and my present and my future. That's what religion tells you you must do. In verse 17 and 18, Paul says, if I endeavor or if I work to be justified, all I do is show myself more of a sinner. Here's what he means. If you believe that your salvation and your faith is a collaboration of your work and grace, Christ's work, we just prove ourselves to be sinful because we always fall short. How many of y'all can relate to that? And he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, 
I prove myself a sinner then too. In other words, what he says is this. If the law was what I was living for, and then all of a sudden, God came down and gave me grace and mercy and forgiveness and all those things, if I go back to the law and rebuild what I tore down, all I do is prove myself again just how crappy I was before I needed Jesus. You know what else happens when you try to rebuild religion and you turn to religion? No transformation. Isn't that what we really desire? Isn't that what we hunger most in life? I want to be transformed. I want to be made new. I want to be justified. I want to be cleansed. I don't want to be like the old me anymore. Isn't that what we really want? Honestly, that's what grace does, but religion is powerless to transform you. You know what else happens? Your sinful habits remain. You know what else begins to take place? You might achieve some sort of religious skill. All that does is make you arrogant and judge, judgmental of others who aren't as good at your skill. Like, for example, when I play basketball and my shot's on, I'm quite arrogant once every four years. I'll get so arrogant sometimes when I shoot, and some of the kids in nightlife will tell you, like, when I'm feeling my shot, I'll catch the ball, and they're coming running at me because they know I'm hitting, and I'll blow them a kiss. I'm one for 97 when I blow a kiss. <laughs> it just happens that way, man. You see, guys, religion doesn't provide you with hope. Do you understand that? We don't preach religion here. Because all religion does is identify you as a sinner. And let's be honest, most of you already know that's who you are. You don't need to be reminded that you suck. I got to pick it up in case there's another one later. So. <laughs> Guys, if we could achieve any type of righteousness through works, like fasting, tithing and giving money, praying, church attendance, whatever, then the whole dying on the cross thing by Jesus was pointless. He didn't need to do it. If we could justify ourselves, then what's the point of him? So that's basically what Paul lays out for Peter. Let's look at the theological concepts. See, God created the Ten Commandments and the law not to save us. You were, oh, you better follow the Ten Commandments. Good luck with that. <laughs> right? Okay, I got number one, thou shalt not kill I'm good with that one so far. Unless you're a vegan and you believe eating animals is sin, then I'm not good with that one. But there are some Ten Commandments that I struggle with. See, they were not created to save us, but to prove the need we have for him to save us through Jesus. That's what religion is good at, showing you where you fall flat. It's to prove that we need forgiveness, mercy, and grace. That's why religion and righteousness don't mix. Because religion, get this guys, requires perfection. The problem with perfection is it has to be achieved. 
You understand what I mean? Perfection is not something you are born with. Perfection is something you have to aspire to. You have to get to. You have to achieve. You have to climb the mountain of imperfection to get to the pinnacle of perfection. But we are depraved sinners. And we're hopeless if we think we can accomplish perfection. Religion requires perfection. Perfection has to be achieved. But grace is rooted in righteousness. But ah, this is cool. Righteousness is not earned. It's given. Do you understand the difference? Oh, you better be righteous. That doesn't mean perfect. The scripture is very clear all throughout the Old and New Testament that righteousness is something that is imputed to us, that it's taken from one and given to another. And who's the one it is taken from? Jesus. We don't have to be perfect. We're supposed to be righteous. And righteousness is not earned. It's not achieved. It is given. It is declared. It's transferred from one paying the price to the one he's paying the price for. It's a huge difference from perfection. So what's the devotional application today? What am I supposed to give you to take home with you? Let me ask a question. Which would you rather live for? Would you rather strive for perfection or live in righteousness? Do you see the difference? It may seem subtle, but it's not. Would you rather strive and work hard? Because here's what happens, guys, for me. When I strive for perfection in anything, right when I think I achieve it, the next moment I screw up. And it's depressing. And it's discouraging. And you know what happens? I begin to say to myself, why am I even trying? And I throw my hands up. And I go back into a swirling, sucking eddy of despair. See, living to be perfect will result in the guilt from inconsistency or failure. Or it can end in self-deception and foolish arrogance thinking that you are better than others. Trying to be perfect via religion and religious rules and expectations is a losing battle every time. Because every time you fight the law, the law will win and it will condemn you why because we're totally depraved and the end result of pursuing perfection is condemnation and when the standard of perfection is put up for you to achieve and you don't achieve it no wonder you live your life in constant bondage to the sin that riddles you. Because you're trying to get out of it the wrong way. You can't get out of a sin by being perfect. You get out of sin by being declared righteous. It's a hopeless, depressing thing to be perfect. But those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. See, this is, this is where religion is helpful. Once you recognize religiously your own hopelessness, your own inability to achieve perfection, 
you now are able to turn to righteousness that comes through not your work, but the work of Christ on the cross. Guys, aren't you sick and tired of not measuring up? Aren't you burned out on religion? Aren't you disgusted with yourself when you keep trying and you fail and you try and you fail and you try and you fail? Spiritual failure after spiritual failure? Look what Paul says in Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? For religion of the spirit of life has set, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. That's what religion is, the law of sin and death. For God has done what religion weakened by the flesh could never do. We're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to play a video, what they call a spoken word video. And this guy does a great job of laying out how you are declared righteous. I tried to write a few things and I couldn't come close. So I'm going to put it up there on the screen. You guys listen to that. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes? God. The maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance. Seen and unseen. What can and can be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans. God. All of it is handiwork. One of which is masterpiece. Made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery. The concept so cold. It's the reason I stay bold. How God breathed in a man and he became a living soul formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us, 
Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list. Because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness his death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the